Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, as we met last week, uh, did a brief introduction to this for this gentleman on my left. So some of what you heard this morning may be a little bit of a repeat, uh, but in case there were some who weren't with us last week, uh, I will repeat myself. Uh, we contacted or we got in touch with Dr. Burt Downs probably six weeks, six to eight weeks ago. And I've had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Downs, you know, multiple times through that time period, sometimes uh, probably longer than Dr. Downs wanted, um, because I have a tendency sometimes to, uh, to run on. Uh, but I have thoroughly enjoyed every conversation with the gentleman. Uh, I'd never met him before. I uh, have found him to be a gracious and experienced uh, gentleman, and uh, as I mentioned last week, the board has asked him and he has accepted to be our advisor as Hillsborough First Baptist Church moves through, through the coming months as we look at our vision for moving forward uh, into the future. So last week I talked a little bit about Dr. Down's background, uh, and I have the same announcement I used last week. I'm gonna start off just repeating that, and then we're gonna go into an interview with Dr. Downs. We have a few questions just to uh, get you a little bit more familiar with this gentleman <laughs> on my left. But this announcement uh, I'm gonna read. Um, it says, Bert is best known locally for his long season of service for Western Seminary, including as president from 1998 to 2008, and as chancellor from 2008 to 2018. I'll interrupt the script here a little bit just to say it's in this role where Pastor Frank got to know Dr. Downs, uh, where Pastor Dave got to know him, and I found out this week that Jory uh, was familiar with Dr. Downs as well from seminary. What people are less aware of are his roles as a founding team member for Walk Through the Bible Ministries, with which he served as vice president and a seminar instructor, the executive director of Pine Summit Christian Conference Center in Big Bear Lake, California, and the executive director of the Southwest Church Connection, a network of 130 churches in four southwestern states. Throughout his seasons of service, he managed to also fit in five interim pastorates in rural, suburban, and urban churches, and all in one lifetime. <laughs> Throughout all these experiences, the theme has consistently been one of restoration and or renewal of once thriving ministries in need of new life and vision. He has become a go-to voice for entities seeking advice regarding new vision, direction, and impact. Bert and Alice, married nearly 52 years, currently reside near Hoodsport on the Washington's Olympic Peninsula. They have two children and two grandsons. Their leisure involves mostly outdoor activities, including hiking, kayaking, and a long list of grandson games. <laughs> and what about retirement? When asked, Bert simply responds, you can retire from a career, but you cannot retire from a calling. And so uh, Dr. Downs continues to serve uh, in places, again, providing uh, consultation and guidance uh, to organizations and churches just like ours. 
but now I'm going to start with an, with an interview with some questions <laughs> for Dr. Downs. Do you think you're ready for this? Well, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm on the witness stand here. Should I <laughs> touch the Bible and swear to something? Should well, I you know, I, I don't think so. I think okay. the word's okay. probably We're good. good enough. Good. But he's a little concerned because I told him I'd add a couple of questions that, uh, that he wasn't aware of. But the first question is, what has been your most life-changing encounter with Jesus other than your salvation? Well, that's a, that's a great question because it really um, is a lifetime impact question. I was a senior in high school, and I don't believe I was a believer. Um, my favorite guy in all my life was my great-grandfather, and I used to skip church. My mother made me go to church, but I just, the body was there, but the rest of me never attended, okay? So, um, so every time I had a chance, I would skip and I'd go see my grandfather. So we lived in a small town. It was easy to do. And one day I was there, and he... Um, he had a stroke while I was there and ended up on the floor and I got down on the floor with him and, and he really couldn't speak and he wasn't really doing all that great. And I thought, I thought he's going to die. And at that moment I thought, I don't know if any truth I've ever, anything I've ever heard in church is true, but if it is, I don't want this guy to die in the condition he's in. Isn't that crazy? No, it's not. And, and so I sat there on the floor and I can't tell you what I said, but it was probably the poorest presentation of the gospel ever made. But, but at the end of it, I said now, and I'd learned this by listening to the pastor. I actually listened once in a while. Why don't you pray with me? And you pray this prayer, and it, you know, it says if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, that your, your eternity will be, will be secure. And so I prayed a prayer, and I don't remember what that prayer was either, but when I finished, I said to him, um, now, if you, if, you could, if you understood and prayed that prayer, then I know you can't talk, but blink your eyes, squeeze my thumb, do whatever, and he did both. At which point I said, great, and I went to take care of other things to make sure that people were there and the ambulance was coming and all those things that uh, took place in that little town. Interesting thing is he didn't die. He lived uh, four more months, and in four months, um, a guy who was a great guy anyway and well-respected in the community, a businessman in the little community we lived in, um, God just transformed his life. I mean, just absolutely. So many changes... So many changes, and it, frankly, it, it was almost frightening. Uh, but, but what it meant was it was a gift to me. Do you understand? Seven years later, when I'm doing successfully well in, in, a, in a role as a high school principal and, um, and make, doing well in the career and making a mess out of life, I had to ask myself, how can this be turned around? And it was my grandfather who answered the question. If God could do for him, huh? then why couldn't that be for me? And frankly, that was a, that was a total, total change. So that's, the, that's it. And I can't tell you, you, you can probably name date and time and everything about when you became a believer, but I can't. I have no idea. I may have been one on that floor that day with my grandfather. I may have been one way later. I really don't know. But I sure am glad I'm one now. <laughs> I think there are a lot of us who uh, I know I too can say I don't know the specific day either. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of a pathway. And, um, so thank you for sharing that. How old were you when that happened? Must have been around 16. 17. 17. Mm -hmm. 
How would you describe your life's mission with only one word? With only one word? Okay, if, if I can do it, then I'm going to see if you can describe yours with one word. I can. <laughs> um, well, listen, I'll, I'll use one word, but just three of them, okay? Okay. okay. Rest, restoration, okay, and hope. Those go together, by the way. And then transformation. Restoration. Restoration, hope, hope transformation. Hope and transformation. You've failed because Pastor Dave always has the same letters starting. Well, each I, of I know. Those, I tried uh, to do my best. Each but... of those things. <laughs> but restoration, hope, and trans Could you uh, expand on that a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, basically, uh, the whole thought of uh, this is something you learn. I, I told Dave over dinner last night that um, sometimes um, a pathway doesn't choose, you don't choose it, it chooses you. And, and the one that chose me was. I, I learned early on as a young 23-year-old high school principal that I was, called to, um, I was called to come in and solve issues. When, when this school took a chance on a 23-year-old, they, they looked and said, if anybody can solve what we're looking at, we think he could. It surprised me, but, but we did. And, and that began a whole story of just one after another, after another, after another. And uh, so that's the restoration part. You just learn, okay, part of, the, part of the truth is is our culture is filled with things that need to be restored. Um, you know, uh, we're good at throwing things away in the culture, and some things need to be thrown away, but there are things that need to be restored. And, and so you need to know how to operate in both ways. Hope has to go with that. You, you'll never get, and I'll speak to you now, we'll never get to where we need to be if you don't have hope. So my start with everybody in the restoration process is we have to work on hope. If you can't hope for more than you're looking at right now, it won't work. But if you can hope, then, then together something good can really come of it. And I, can't, I have no idea what it might be. But, but that's, that's, then, that's the transformation piece. You know, when we come to faith in Christ, Christ says that he wants to, well, Paul writes, being transformed into the image of God from glory to glory, right? But we don't know what that's going to be. We have no idea, and we can't tell God what it's going to be. We just have to embrace the transformation when it comes. So that's it. Rest restoration, we just preached a sermon, didn't we? Yeah. Hope and uh, transformation. Now I'm beginning to sound like Fred. I went a little long on that one, all right? But I'll... I hope the recording has enough time for the sermon. <laughs> Thank you. In our communication regarding helping us in this transition time, you have used the word advisor to identify your role. Why not use a word like consultant or leadership counselor or something like that? Um, I found that the word advisor is best. I think other, I like consultant, but consultant usually means someone has a predetermined plan that they come with. That's a, something they do everywhere. And that's nothing wrong with that. I know guys that are really good at that. I, you have plans that are really good at doing those things, including church. Um, you know, leadership advisor, uh, you know, counselor. I don't know. I just like advisor because it, it puts forward the idea of we're not coming presuming anything. We're, go we're going to talk. We're going to ask questions. We're going to pray. We're going to listen. We're going to propose, what about this, what about this, what do we think about this? And we're going to see where it is that God puts, puts it together. 
And, and eventually we'll find that. And when we find that, it'll be right for us. And so we won't presume going in. And that's why I like advising, because I think it presumes listening and, uh, and sharing and trying to get a sense of, in the Christian context, what God has done with a group and what God proposes to do with one going into the future. So, okay. yeah. Thank you. How would you describe your leadership style? A guy at a church where I was the interim a number of years ago stood in the foyer listening to me talk to a guy after an evening service. And when we had finished, it was a, it was a dynamic conversation. I'll leave it with that word, dynamic conversation. And um, when, he was fin- when he was, we finished and he was walking off, this gentleman walked up behind me, happened to be one of the deacons in the church, and he said, do you ever stop? And I said, what do you mean, do I ever stop? He said, you are always leaning against us. Mm-hmm. And, and when we move, you don't stop. You walk right up behind us so we can't go backward, and you lean on us some more. And so that's how I would describe it. Uh, and it describes it accurately. Used to be a football coach, folks. You know? Gives us a picture of what we're looking forward to. <laughs> uh, interesting, he mentions being a football coach. That was my uh, unscripted question for oh, Dr. Cool. Down. Yeah, yeah. There are a few of us I know out there who, who enjoy football. Uh, me being one of them, but uh, I was aware that you had been a football coach previously. How would you say coaching football uh, was part of your life story and either contributed or, you know, led you anywhere? Well, the truth, the truth of it is, I was, that's all I ever wanted to be. You know, people ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's what I wanted to be as a football coach. So I was for six years and, um, and had a good run. But, but I found it's a lot like what we do here. Every game's a different game. Every game, you've got to adjust what you think you're going to do. Every game, you can't presume, you know, that, that your foe is, is uh, not going to be better than you. I mean, we've lost some miserable games in my history to people we shouldn't have lost them to, all because the coach and the team were careless. You know, we just didn't pay attention. And so it was a great, it was a great opportunity. Um, the hardest thing that I had to do with a coach, with the best team I had, the best team averaged 55 points a game on offense and gave up less than six points a game on defense. So, so they, were, they, were, they were a crew. And the hardest thing I had to do for them was to get them to practice. So, so every Friday after the game, it would be, do we have to practice on Monday? Oh, come on, coach. You know, that team next weekend, we don't need to practice for them. But you know what? I found that to be true with congregations as well. The author of Hebrews, when he writes five warnings, the middle warning is, you have this problem. You've quit practicing what you know. And because you've quit practicing what you know, you've become dull of hearing. And while you should be teachers now, you're in need of being taught again. So practice is a big deal. And that's why I hang on to that football piece. Thank you. Last question. Oh, good. Why do you think Alice married you? Well, I asked her that last week, and she said it was for the money. (laughs) Actually, she answered it a different way. We were driving back. My children deal in property a lot, and we were out looking at a piece of property that they were considering. And on the way home, we had to turn from a rural country road onto a fairly busy 
Road uh, with no light. This is the worst left turn in Mason County, Washington. And um, so we just dreaded getting there and having to make that left turn on this road. And I look up the hill this way. She's driving at this, on this occasion. And there's not a car on the road clear up this hill as far as I can see, which is just amazing. And she said, nothing here. And we pull out. And when we pull out, I said, well, that was a providential experience. And she said, like our whole life. And I said, what do you mean by that? She said, our life has been all about the providence of God. Everything we've done has been marked with God's providence. To which I said, even our marriage? And she said, absolutely. I think she probably meant to say, maybe that's the biggest thing of all. But um, After yeah. the money. After the money. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Now you've been introduced to Dr. Downs a little bit. I'm sure we will know him even better after he shares with us. Would you please give a proper Hillsborough First Baptist welcome and greeting to Dr. Bert Downs? Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's a delight to be here with you this morning. Uh, and to be interviewed, what a joy. Um, I'm looking back at a clock that says 11.02, and David, when do I have to uh, go like this? Hmm? By 2 o'clock? Okay, good. We'll make it. We'll make it. Good, very good. Listen, it is a joy, and, and it's a privilege to be here. I, I really um, didn't anticipate it. Um, my good brother, Frank Carpenter, who um, in another lifetime was uh, on the Alumni Council at Western Seminary, uh, we got to know one another, and he called me and started all of this. Just, to, would you talk to Fred? And, and we did. And one thing led to another, and, and it's a delight to be here. And I'm looking forward to getting knowing all of you along the way. Um, one, of the, one of my uh, roles with the Southwest Church Connection, which really was the old Southwest CBA, what was basically... Um, restoration and rebuilding and transformation and renewal, those kinds of things. Um, of the 130 churches mentioned, probably two-thirds of them uh, were wrestling with whether they were going to live or not. So, so this, is, this, is a, this is a big deal. And, um, and let me just say up front that, that you're in a way better spot than most of them were. So I don't want you to think for a minute that, that this is a... Um, this is even beginning to be a remnant of a sad occasion. This is a happy occasion. This is, this is a great occasion of looking at heritage. This is a great occasion of looking at community. This is a great occasion of looking at what we believe about what God might do in us and through us again. Uh, this is a great occasion for faith and hope. And, and dare I say, we'll need plenty of love to... Uh, to get along the way, and, and, it, and it looks like that. I mean, I've dealt with churches that, a, a, a church that called and said we need help that had four people left in the congregation. Four. And I've dealt with churches that had way more than that in the congregation. And it's interesting as I think about that even this morning, of the four or the others that had way more, which one, which one actually changed the most? And the reason they changed the most was because we discovered when we visited the church that only four ladies remained in the church. 
And, and when we met with them, this was in a little worn-out mining town in Arizona, now filled with people who wanted to escape the culture, you know? Live out in the desert, live in the RV, do all of that kind of stuff. You can picture them, can't you? You know, this is a tough group to do church with, right? And these ladies say the community and the cause of Christ need this church here. We must have this church here. We cannot let it go away. And these four ladies said to my wife and me, we will do anything for this church to thrive again. Whatever God asks us to do or you ask us to do, we will do. And they did. And so we called an interim and got a good interim with them. And within a few weeks, he had the church up to about 25 members instead of four. Okay? And um, then we put them to work to call a new pastor. And they looked at resume after resume after resume. This is not a big place. This is uh, 250 people plus who knows how many out in the desert in the middle of nowhere. And, and finally, they chose the one they felt like they wanted to interview and maybe call. And this is a guy from Romania. From Romania. I'm going, Romanian, these guys out here, this is not going to go well. They wanted to call him. They brought him in. He had a beautiful wife from the Philippines, a Romanian and a Philippine wife in the middle of this interesting place. They had two beautiful children. And they decided that he was going to be their pastor. And I went, oh my. A year later, they couldn't get the people in the church. There were so many of them. Baptizing people monthly. Doing special programs. The community fell in love with this couple and their children. And they just knew how to love the community. They have since moved on. The church is still doing well. They moved to another church that needed them in the middle and out in the Midwest. And the same thing is happening. Every day I look at his Facebook posts and every day I see names from people where he came from in Arizona, wishing him well, praying for him, thanking him for what he, how he followed the Lord with them. So you see, these are, these are not terrible stories. We hear all the terrible stories. These are good stories. That's a good story, isn't it? It makes me think, I, you know, wherever I go, I listen, sometimes you feel like this, this just can't be done. And I remember them and go, oh, yes, it can. Oh, yes, it can. Because when our hearts are right before God, it'll happen. Well, you have some notes with you, and I'm not going to linger long over the notes. But what I wanted to do today, not just for you, but for the folks that are watching, um, scattered around, watching us today by live stream, um, is to talk a little bit about just kind of a pattern of transformation. Remember, one of the, one of the things Fred asked me was, what's, what's the, what do you do? And I, and I said, restoration and hope and transformation. Well, I want to look a little bit at transformation because that's just such a goal of God. You know, when we come to faith in Christ, he doesn't leave us where we are. You know, his aim is to move us and, and to move us more and more, interestingly, into his likeness. And, and when you think about that and you think about church, and by the way, when we use the word church, right, we don't mean buildings and programs and stuff, do we? You know, when, and in Arizona, I had to close a few churches. And I never felt like I was closing a building or closing, I was closing out people. 
I was closing out not just the people who had been in the church, but I was closing out the people in the community who needed Christ and had lost this resource. So this is no big deal. This is a heartbreaking kind of thing. So when we talk here about the church, and I use the term church this morning, I'm not talking about this place in this town. I'm talking about you and me. We're the church. So with that in mind, and because he's been preaching through Revelation, and because he has a habit of starting everything with the same letter, I created a pattern with everything with the same letter here this morning, just so you would feel comfortable, all right? So... um, So let's just take a look at this is kind of a pattern I want you to think about because I'll call you to it often and the board to it and everyone and I I practice it myself uh, to help us sort of stay on a transformational course. Is that okay? Can I do this? Are we good? Yep. And we're only at 11.09. So this is really excellent. Really excellent. When it's two o'clock, I'll call it quits. Okay, Dave? So listen, if you have your scriptures with you, we're going to move around through a lot of uh, passages this morning, but I want to take you to the book of Revelation since you've been there. And I'd like to go to Revelation chapter 3 and begin at verse 20. Revelation 3, verse 20. This is the uh, first destination one that I have with a blank there. And um, let's just take a look at this interesting passage. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me in my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, you've traveled through a few of the churches. I've listened to uh, Pastor Dave's sermons, a couple of them clear through, and, and, and they're beautiful. Uh, I mean, you know, I've listened to the revelation talked about in seminary and, you know, some of the, some of the best places around, and, and nobody has preached it any better than I've heard from Pastor Dave. He, he has given you great information that is so significant to our day. And, and if you noticed as you covered, how have we been through four, I think, now? Um, and and the rest of them, what you will find is there's a common word in all of them, and the word is overcome. In every one of them, Jesus, or the Spirit of God, uh, says says something like this, he who overcomes, I will grant to him. And and what I want to just lay before you this morning as we talk transformation, is part of transformation is overcoming. You know, it's, it's not at the same level, but it was like overcoming the objections of my football team because they didn't want to practice. And I usually just overcame them by threatening what I would do to them on Monday if they didn't show up. And that worked. And that doesn't work in church so much, so we don't do it here. But, but I want you to see that we're overcomers, that, that the pattern is of all of these churches that, that are mentioned here, these seven all of which were powerful churches in their time, every one of them ended up to a place where they had to overcome something. Ephesus, probably the most powerful of the group, had to overcome the fact that they had quit doing what they should be doing. You know, if you look up here with me for just a second, and and I would normally draw this, but your your imaginations will work, is, is if you just think of kind of a bell curve like this, and you think of a life cycle, 
with one end being the beginning and all the excitement of growing and starting new things and, and, and winning and losing and, and being surprised and, and you grow up and you grow up and you grow up and then pretty soon you begin to figure it out and it all smooths out and it works good for you and you become really experts at it and everything's cool and it gets to move along. And, and then if you stay in that pattern long enough, you become complacent and you drop off the other side and you begin a process of moving toward decline and if it goes too far, toward death. Everything has a life cycle, including the church. Everything. And, and what happens is these people who help build, when it smooths out and it gets going good, they have nothing new to do. They, they can't build anything. In fact, they begin to be stopped from building because everybody wants it to stay that way. And so the builders leave, and people who can run it stay, and eventually, if we're not careful, if something doesn't change and something new gets gets this going again, then everything slides off. That's these churches. All of these churches have moved to the backside of their life cycle. The Ephesians aren't quite there yet, but they're about to go there. A couple of churches are just struggling against cult pressure and satanic things, and, and you can just sense the pressure is getting on them, and they're going to struggle to overcome. Some of the churches have, like Laodicea, has just gone in the tank. They've become so careless about what they do that they said, Jesus says, you're lukewarm, and because you're lukewarm, I'm going to paraphrase it, you're disgusting. But even with that church, he says, if you'll overcome. Listen to what the Spirit says, if you'll overcome. So, here we have him saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him, and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me. So first word I want you to write in there is the word meal. Meal. Jesus said, if you're listening to me and you're willing to open the door, see, we often portray this as a believer opening the door of his or her heart to Jesus. And I'm not saying it isn't that, but it's not that here. Here he's talking to the churches. And here he's saying to seven churches through the Spirit of God that if you will listen and hear me knock and open the door to me, I'll come in and sit down with me, with you, and we'll have a meal together. We'll talk together. We'll fellowship together. We'll pray together. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together. We'll do all those things together. And he's saying that to Ephesus and Laodicea and, and all of the other ones in between. This is what I want to do with you. That's where it always starts. This is the hardest part to get to in any kind of restoration is opening the door. And that's why, frankly, these churches didn't last very long. I mean, they didn't last much beyond this. By the time we get to the end of the second century, these churches are history, basically. So, so this is the deal. 
This is where we always start. And that's the challenge, is to open the door of our lives, open the door of our body, open the door of what we hope for for ministry, and invite Jesus to come in. Come in and sit with us. The second one is, is a message. And if you just slide back to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16 is where Jesus basically mentions the church first. Up to this point, we really haven't had this name anywhere, this ecclesia name, these called out ones. That's you and me. For followers of Jesus, we're called out, and we're called out for a purpose. But in chapter 16 here, they're taking a little walk from, from Capernaum to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus and the disciples, and along the way, he says, who do, you, who do you say that I am? Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And they say, oh, you're John the Baptist, or you're Isaiah, or you're Jeremiah. One of the old prophets come back. And, and this is always good. I love Peter. Peter's, you know, the guy who only opens his mouth to shift feet. But Jesus looks at him and says, so what about you? Who do you say I am? That's a great question for all of us, isn't it? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, way to go, Peter. But you didn't get that on your own. The spirit of God revealed that to you. He's the Christ. He's the promised one from Abraham clear down to that time. Everybody in this Jewish culture has been waiting for this one who's going to return and ultimately restore the kingdom of God and ultimately bring back an Edenic, that is an Eden-like experience to the whole earth and the world, to the universe in a sense. They've been looking for that. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter, I'm the one. Isn't that powerful? I'm the one. And he says, by the way, Peter, Petros, by the way, Peter, little stone, I'm going to build my church on this rock. And this rock isn't Peter, contrary to some who believe that's the case, but the rock is that testimony, that reality. I'm the Christ. I'm the son of the living God. It's on this rock I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, my body, my called out ones. The people are going to come. And this church I'm going to build, listen carefully, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now here's the trick. When he says that, he's saying something. That these called out ones are going to have a task. And the task is going to be an assault on the gates of Hades. That's the, that's the message. The message is, I'm the Christ. I'm the son of the living God. I'm building the church, I'm in this with you, I'm empowering you, and the gates of Hades will never prevail against you. Those people locked in the domain of darkness, just like we were, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were all born there. Every one of us, right? But God, Paul writes, the biggest two words in Scripture, but God full of mercy, changes the whole rule, doesn't he? So there's a message in this, and the message is a powerful one, that when we come to faith in Christ, we don't come to sit, we come to build. 
He's appointing us as builders. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And it's these living stones, as Peter says, 1 Peter, these living stones that God is going to use to build it into a huge, huge house for his glory. And that's what you and I are, these living stones. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. Jesus wins. And then he says, what you loose on earth, let me not, let me not uh, state that incorrectly because I've been knowing to do that. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I don't know how to explain all of that except to say that in all of this, there's a heaven connectedness that we just must pay attention to. And I think that takes a lot of faith. So the second piece is a message. This is the message that Christ is the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God. And we know of that Son of God that Jesus said, or God sent him into the world, right? To save sinners. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whoever believes will not perish will not be locked behind those gates of Hades forever, but will be rescued because of what Christ did. That's the message. That's what we carry. That's who we are. The third one is method. What's the method that makes all of this happen? If we know what we're called for and we understand the rock and we understand where these living stones being built together into this huge body and we have a purpose and that purpose is to free people from behind those gates of Hades to whether you're reformed and believe there are people behind those gates that have been called and, and they just need someone to go in there and they'll call them out and they're going to be saved that way or if you're kind of in the free will world, whatever the case, they need someone to come with a message. And that's those who have been saved, who are now the called out ones that are being built into this wonderful building, if you will, of Christ, an eternal reality. But how do we become that? How does that work in our lives? What's the process? How, do, how does Jesus take a Peter, kind of a raw product, right, and, and turn him into this, this person who who at the end of his life has tremendous power and influence in the church, and yet remains humble and ends up crucified, just like Jesus. Interestingly enough, for you ladies here, you need to know that his wife was also crucified for her faith. So these are powerful people who gave their whole selves for this thing, even though they struggled early on. So what was the practice that got them there? Okay, this is really simple. It's in Matthew chapter 4, and, and I don't need to have you look at it. Because I'm just going to start saying it, and you're going to say the verse. You come, follow, and? That's exactly right. It's a verse that we learn somewhere along the way. Everybody, anybody who's been in Sunday school knows that verse. But, but the thing is, is that verse embodies the method that Christ uses to grow us up. There are two responsibilities and one outcome. My responsibility, follow Jesus. Learn about him, understand as much as I can from the scripture, and by faith begin to 
pattern my life after him. Follow Jesus. Remember my granddad that almost died? In the town we grew up in, his name was Bert too, by the way. In the town we grew up in, uh, when I was, you know, this big, um, everybody in town referred to him as Big Bert and me as Little Bert. And it wasn't because of our size or age differential. It was because we were a lot alike. And, and, and we didn't get alike by accident. I watched him, and much to the chagrin of my mother, because everything he did didn't really meet her approval, I followed him. I became like him. And Jesus is saying, you come follow me. As much as you can understand as you're working through the scripture and you're watching him work with people and you're seeing his grace and his humility and his strength at times, and follow him. That's your job. That's my job. My job isn't to make me into something. That's his job. My job is to follow him. And he says, you follow me, I will make you into something. See, that's why I said, you know, in, in, in the world that I've been in, you, this, this, this job doesn't, you don't choose it, it chooses you. And I've got news for you. That's the truth for every follower of Jesus, that what he finds for you to do, you probably don't choose. He chooses. So he says, you follow me, I'm going to make you into something. Now, here's the, here's the really significant piece of this. He's a great teacher. Great teachers always have a way of measuring if it's happening. Right? As much as we love tests, tests are generally a pretty good thing. Yeah. Particularly if you're ready for them. He says, here's the deal. You can follow me. I'm going to make you into something. And we'll know when that's happening because you'll catch people. That's the measure of a church. If the body of Christ isn't catching people, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. So I just play, by, play my card. We, got to, we have got to move back to catching people. Now, I know you probably catch some, and that's good, and that's great. And probably individually you catch others in your life who come to faith in Christ, who don't come here. And they aren't part of this body, but they go on to do it. And that's great too. But, but within us, we have to have the sense of catching people. Alice and I just moved back to an old neighborhood we used to live in. And we'd, we'd, done, some work in, we'd done some work on a 100-year-old house in Tacoma for our kids. And uh, we love restoration, including houses. And um, so we moved back to our old neighborhood out on the peninsula, and in Tacoma, we tried and tried and tried and tried to uh, connect with people and uh, see these connection processes take place, and they just never did. It was like, you know, you're an interesting person, but don't bother us sort of deal. You know, my fence is here, your fence is there, stay on your side. And, but we went back to the old neighborhood, and the other day Alice said, it just seems like we're surrounded by people all the time. So that's right, we're, we're, we're back in a place where God wants us to be. These are people who have needs that we fit, and as much as some of them are driving us crazy, guess what? We're catching people. It just happens that way. This is where we belong, and because we belong here and open ourselves up, we catch. We follow Jesus. You know, even though that lady who sends you 25 texts a day is driving you crazy, she needs Christ. Just that simple. 
That's the measure. So it's a method. It's a, it's a meal. Always starts there. A heart issue. It's a message. You've got to have the right message. It's a method. We need to grow into it. And the way we grow into it is by following. Two more real quickly, and we're going to wrap it up here. Destination four is a mission. That eventually we have a mission. As we grow, the mission shapes itself bigger and bigger. You watch an act. You have this little huddle of people. Jesus is ascended. They're sort of struggling. What's going to happen? What's going on? And the Spirit comes, and the Spirit empowers them, and they begin to reach out, and they're still struggling some, but they begin to, to reach more and more, and they follow more and more, and they see what God is doing more and more. Look, look at those statistics early in Acts. You don't think that didn't? And, and yet, Jesus still needed to stir them to go further by bringing persecution to get them to move. So, so it's always in the process of God is always getting us to move out of our zones, to get us to move out there, to follow him, because there are people behind the gates of Hades whose eternity is lost forever if you and I don't, don't become part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a mission, and I'll just state it. You know, the, you know it well enough, and I'm not going to linger over it. Jesus just says to his disciples at the end, you go into the world and make disciples. Teaching them what I have taught you. Yeah, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them what I have taught you. And, and the great part is that fronting it, he says, you know, all, heaven, all power has been given to me on heaven and earth. And we know that he said it another place to John in John 17, basically, that he's in us and the Father is in us and we're in them. So we've got company in this deal. And at the end, he reiterates that by saying, lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm there with you. Follow me. We're going to catch people. Go into the world and make disciples. So that's the mission. And that's quick, but I think you know that one. That's been preached on plenty of times to, to get it. So with the last one here at 1130, we've done good. We'll be at 2 o'clock, I think. The last one is motivation. And that's why I mentioned hope when Fred asked me that one question. So restoration, transformation, and in the middle, hope. Because hope is so, so significant. In Colossians 1, if you want to thumb there in your scriptures, and we'll just look at this real quickly. Colossians 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you have previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. You see, you see, the, uh, you see the paradigm there? The paradigm in, in Corinth with faith, hope, and love is that order. At the end of chapter 13, Paul writes, and these three endure, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But here he writes to the Colossians and he changes the paradigm. It's faith, love, and hope. And, and here's, the, here's the essence of this, is, is that faith is how everything gets started. The author of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, period. And he said, defines faith. Faith is basically those who believe that God is, and he's the rewarder of those who seek him. All right, so it all starts with faith. 
By faith we've been saved, right? Through grace. Or by grace we've been saved through faith. Take your pick. Take your pick. It's faith, love, hope he puts here. And I think puts hope at the end, gives it the ascending place rather than love, because if we're going to do what he asks us to do in this world, we can't do it without hope. I have to keep my eyes based on the hope. And the hope of the early church was the hope of the return of Christ. That they lived in light of the return of Christ. I have this faith which has led me to a relationship with Christ and through Christ to God the Father. I have this mission laid out in front of me, but if this is going to take shape, I have to keep my eye on the prize. And the prize, as he drives it here, is is because of this hope laid up for you in heaven. This hope that's attached to the return of Christ. Together, if we're going to be what he's called us to be, we have to put our eyes on the hope. There will be tons of things that will try to get us to quit hoping. Whether it's here or with those who are watching us, wherever they are out there, uh, there is plenty in how we live life today to just challenge your hope if you take your eyes off of the expectant return of Christ. So the early disciples kept their eyes on the prize, and because they did that, listen, because they did that, they could love. No matter what came, they could love. In Corinthians, it was faith, hope, love, because the Corinthian church desperately needed love as the preeminent thing. Here in the Colossae church, and perhaps for us, the issue isn't so much that as it is having that driving force before us, keeping our eyes fixed on the prize, which is in Jesus Christ. Colossians is all about the headship of Christ. It's rich in Jesus. And because we keep our eye on that hope, it empowers the love that drives who you and I are in terms of the mission in this world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And by the way, he's sending us too. So as I look at this, this is really a transformative process that moves from understanding that I need to open the door. Christ has promised he will come in. He'll share a meal with us. He'll visit with us. He'll enrich our lives, he'll correct us, he'll do all of the things that we need to begin becoming what's going to be the people who will deliver this mission. And then he says, there's a message, let's listen to the message. The message is this, that that I have a role for you to play. It's all based on knowing who I am and messaging that. And I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I have been sent to save souls. I have been sent to save sinners, to assure lives for all eternity, not lost forever, but found and present in the kingdom of God. I have a method for doing it, and it's so simple, people resist it. You come follow me, and I'll make you into something. I'll make you to look like me over time. I'll make you to speak like me, think like me, love like me, hurt like me, sacrifice like me, be patient like me, finish like me. 
And we'll all know when that's happening because you're going to knock down the gates of Hades and you're going to retrieve people. Because the gates of Hades will not prevail against my people. Remember, you're the church. And we can't let it prevail. Our Savior doesn't want that. So there's a mission, and the mission is to go and make disciples. And there's a motivation for doing it. And that motivation is the most ultimate hope in all of the world, the reality that Christ is going to return. And when he comes, he is going to return for us. New heaven, new earth, no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. Tree of life replanted. Oh, my goodness. Hope. Here's what I want you to do for me and for the church for a little bit, okay? It's got to be an application. This can be of value to you individually as well as corporately. So, again, in in thinking of of those who may be watching this for a variety of reasons, and you're so important to us, that, that, that just bringing this into your own life and beginning to live it out, you'll begin to see Christ doing remarkable things. And if you're a member of this body, then you can join these here. And if you happen to be a member somewhere else, by all means, uh, it will make a difference in your service for him. So here's what I'm going to challenge you and ask you to do. And I'm going to do it with you, okay? So you can count on me on this. And that's on Mondays. I want you to sometime early in the day get up and, and just ask Jesus to give you his meal for that day. I'm opening the door to you, Jesus. Feed me today. Come and talk to me today. Give me a meal today. It doesn't take any more than that. I'm not asking you to play for 30 minutes. I'm just asking you to open the door and say to Jesus, the door's open. I take you at faith that you'll come through that door and I welcome you. Whatever comes today, I'll receive it by faith. Thank you. Move on with the day. See what happens. Tuesdays, I want you to think about the message. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And just say, teach me about yourself, Lord. Teach me about this this way you're building us. I'm opening my heart to you to learn how to grow and to become these stones, these living stones who are going to build into this magnificent house. And you've got a job for us. Teach us about that. On Wednesday, I'd like you to get up and go, today, Lord, I'm going to focus on following. I hope you follow him every day. But on one day, I just want you to say to him, so speak to me. Help me to just really follow you today, to to be cognizant of it. On Thursdays, focus on the mission. Is there someone today that I need to use the name? This is what my wife used to say to me. I'd come home from a great meeting or meeting with someone and talk about all the things I did, you know, leisurely with, with an unbeliever. Um, and, and, and I would say, um, tell her about this great conversation. And about halfway through it, she'd go, so did you ever bother to mention Jesus? And she always brought me up short. It was like, ugh. Uh, well, I may have referenced him, so you did not. You know, you forgot again. What's the mission, Bert? What's the mission? And then on a Friday, just to focus your eyes on the hope, say, Jesus, I'm looking forward to you coming again. Just like John at the end of Revelation says, 
okay, Jesus, so come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And just carry that. You get Saturday and Sunday off. Take a breath. And then do it again. And let's just together, very simple, we're just, we're just asking Jesus to do what he says he'll do. And let's together see what happens. Let's together out there, wherever, see what Jesus does. See how he meets you. You know, it, he may be quiet for three days in a row, and then on the fourth day, just light your life up. I don't know how this is going to work. Or he may show up every day. I don't know. But I know these things are important to him and important to his body. And therefore, I'm asking you to join me for a season of just looking at these things. Well, let's pray and let's close, shall we? Do we have a closing song? Do we? Yeah, okay. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for these folks. Thanks for the great heritage that's here in this church. Thanks for the many lives that have come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the people who have been here. People who have followed you, people who have spoke your name, people who have been great examples, people who have taught, people who have prayed. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure that if we could find the list of all of those who, because of a kind word or a sharing of the gospel or whatever it might have been, have found themselves in your family, we would be shocked and humbled. And we might even ask ourselves, how come we didn't produce more? Whatever the case might be, Lord, I would just pray that as, as we get together, that we would indeed, with our hearts, just open them to you, let you come in, let you speak to us, let you make us into something. Let you craft a message all about yourself. Say that message to many people and live in the delightful hope of the prospect of your returning again. Father, we thank you for all of this, for your love, your grace, your salvation. We are deeply grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.